Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. If you can do that while you're giving and uh, opening your Bible at the same time. You know, when, when we're born again, we um, receive an inheritance. We are adopted into the family of God as full mature sons of God, is what the Bible says. We get, uh, we're, we're accepted in the family of God just as Christ is accepted. That's amazing. I mean, that ought to excite you right there. Uh, the Bible says that under the new covenant, we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Not just an heir, but a joint heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. So we receive an inheritance when we are born again. And uh, it's kind of a birthright, if you will, if we use that term, that, that we have. And I think the problem is, is we don't really understand the extent or, and the value of our birthright, of our inheritance. Because we can't see it and it just happens, we don't really understand fully um, the extent of our, of our birthright or our inheritance. And sometimes we just take it for granted that, um, you know, um, we hear about it or whatever. Maybe we hear or we don't hear about it, but it's just something that's there and we don't really pay much attention to it. And if we're not careful, Satan comes, Jesus said in, in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so we know that Satan's always coming to steal from us and he doesn't want us to rule and reign with, uh, with Christ. He doesn't want us ruling and reigning. You know, when we begin to understand about our inheritance, we understand that it's, you know, we can begin to activate it now, and, and, and we can rule and reign here in this life just as much as ruling and reigning in eternity with Christ. In fact, I believe that the degree that we rule and reign here in our life will determine the position for all eternity that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. The degree that we rule and reign over sin in our life and not giving ourselves to sin and, and uh, walking in uh, Christ-likeness here on this earth is going to determine our position for all eternity. It's very important in what we do now. Uh, the Bible talks about that we'll receive an a reward and uh, that uh, we'll have to give an account for every deed that's done in the flesh, every word that's spoken. We have to give an account for it. So it's very important what we do. And so I want to talk today a little bit about the birthright, our birthright, what we have. And, and um, I couldn't decide what to, to title this message, whether it needed to be the focus of the faithful or... Will you sell your birthright? I, I'm just kind of torn there, so I guess I'll let you decide what you want to do. But, you know, we need to take an assessment today uh, and see if we have lost the focus of the faithful. You know, if, if maybe we're not being faithful, and so we have lost focus there. Um, maybe we've lost focus by placing too small a value, too little of a value on our birthright that God has provided for us. And, um, and we'll need to ask ourselves some questions. But there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Paul said we have this treasure. It's in an earthen vessel that we might show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this all-surpassing power it's a treasure that's in us, and it's this all-surpassing power. And so that people will know that that's from God and not from us. Our inheritance is powerful. When we begin to uh, understand it, believe it, and exercise it, it's very powerful. Satan wants to hinder us from that. So we need to guard that, that deposit that God has given. Because uh, Satan is seeking to, devour, to, to come and to steal that. Open, if you will, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. Let's read a story here about someone else who didn't really understand the fullness of the birthright and really took it for granted. 
And we don't want to become like that. We'll see some things that happened, and uh, we'll do this little assessment in our life by asking ourselves three questions, really, to see where we are on this thing of understanding and, and uh, valuing our birthright. The first question that we need to ask ourselves uh, is, is simply, are you undervaluing your godly inheritance? In Genesis chapter 25, starting with verse 19, uh, it says, This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was, uh, was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian from Padan, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. All right, we got that out of the way. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other's, uh, other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from, uh, from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first, came, uh, first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when uh, Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Now, if you skip ahead a little bit, Jacob is the one who becomes Israel. His name is changed to Israel, and there's the 12 tribes of Israel, his sons. And so we see that that lineage goes on today. And then from Esau, we, we see another lineage that comes down, and the prophecy that was given to Sarah, I mean, uh, to Rebecca at that particular time has come about, and we see that there's still conflict and, and strife between these two, uh, these two lines, if, if you will, of, of, um, of families. Um, but I want us to look here at that one, the, verse, the last verse there. It says, the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. In other words, outside of the cultivated area is basically what it uh, where, what it means. Uh, he loved to roam out there. He liked to just get out, go out on, you know, not um, be confined and just kind of a, a loner. And, you know, in the Hebrew, the, when the, they use the words the beast of the field, or the, uh, it means a wild animal. When they use like the plant of the field, it means a, white, a wild plant. And so really kind of the way that it's used here is Esau was a man of the field, or he was kind of wild and, and untamed in a, in a sense. He was undisciplined, an undisciplined man who lived in the, uh, in the wild and just roamed, and he was seeking sport and adventure. Now, that's not so bad except for the application that we can bring to this as we begin to see what happened in Esau because of his character, because of his nature, and that he was kind of, um, uh, again, undisciplined and uh, was always seeking sport and adventure. So we need to, there's going to be some cautions about that. Esau was born in the family from Abraham, uh, and God's promises, God's blessing of Abraham rested upon Esau. Esau was the firstborn, uh, and so he had a birthright. And um, that, was, that meant something. It was a double portion. The person that was, had the birthright was supposed to carry on that, uh, that covenant relationship. That, uh, all the blessings were there. That's another reason why he was given a, a double portion to help extend that. Became the patriarch of that lineage to carry on that name and, and to carry on the um, living out the inheritance and, pr and provision as well. Um, 
But the thing was, is Esau undervalued that heritage. And so, you know, the first thing we need to ask ourselves, do we, do you know any Christians like that today that maybe they're born into the family of God, the great blessings of God, and uh, have all this uh, inheritance, uh, you know, waiting for us, but um, really don't value that and, and uh, maybe even living an undisciplined life, uh, seeking other things, maybe rather than seeking the things of the Lord or the things that would pertain to the inheritance, just out, you know, doing own thing. I don't know if you know anybody like that, any Christians, any believers like that. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's speaking to you today, but maybe you're wild and undisciplined. Uh, I might could pick out a few today. (laughs) Really, in a sense, not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, walking less than what God intended them to walk. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. We need to be careful. We need to put a guard over our heart and to make sure that we're not undisciplined, that we're not out just seeking uh, selfish adventure and, and not valuing the heritage that we have now as a believer. And so, you know, sometimes we allow our birthright to be undervalued, disrespected, uh, and maybe even torn from us. The second question that we come to is, are you quick to exchange the eternal for the temporal? Remember, Esau was undisciplined. And most of the time is thinking about what's happening now, what do I need to do to, to fix this situation and correct this fi- situation, not necessarily thinking in advance. He was just, again, wild, undisciplined, searching for adventure. Let's look at verses 29 through 31 there in Genesis 25. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, everybody say quick. Quick, let me have some of that red stew. And some translations say, let me have some of that red stuff. Let me, let me have some of that chili. No, it was bean stew is what it was. He says, I'm famished. Um, that is why he was also called Edom. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Now, Jacob meant supplanter, which is a deceiver, conniver in a sense. And he got that name because he was grabbing Esau's heel when they were born. And he was like, you know, I'm going to be first. And so, you know, the more you read this, you find that Jacob was probably trying to figure out a way where he could get the birthright because his mother, Rebecca, had told him, and she loved him more than she loved Esau. And Isaac loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. Esau would, you know, he, he liked, uh, Isaac liked the, the wild game that uh, Esau would bring to him. And, and uh, Rebecca just favored East, uh, Isaac just a little bit more. Uh, and um, it's not Isaac, uh, Jacob more. And so uh, she had told him, hey, God gave me a prophecy that said that your older brother Esau is going to serve you, that the older is going to serve the younger. And so that's going to happen. So we've got to figure this thing out. Uh-oh. Some of the things that were inherited from Abraham, remember Abraham and Sarah when God gave them a prophecy that you're going to have a son, your seed's going to you know, be as the sands of the sea, it's, uh, many nations are going to come from you. So they helped, they helped God out and got an Ishmael. You know that story, right? You see another pattern happening here? So you know, sometimes uh, on the other side of the thing, we're going to see what Esau did wrong, but Jacob... You know, he got into that point of where sometimes we're impatient and we want to help God out. Well, it, helped, it hurt him, and he paid for it. Uh, in, in his, if we looked at his whole story, we can see where he paid for it. Um, thank God he, he you know, had some corrections in his life and came back. But at this point, this is where in verse 31, Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Well, you know, Esau, he, um, 
Can't you just see this picture? He comes in from, from hunting. He's, he's hungry and everything. It says he's famished. He's not starving to death. Okay, he's just hungry. Anybody ever been in that situation? But uh, again, he's undisciplined. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, boy, there's a lot of twos there. It says, flee uh, the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of, pure, out of the pureness of heart. So flee these evil desires. Flee these temporal lusts that would, uh, would be driving your, your flesh, your body, those desires, and yield to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and make some wise decisions. You know, we're in, we're in this position that we're in because of impromptu decisions, just on-the-spot decisions that we make uh, because it was uh, the same thing that happened to Eve. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was good to the taste. You know, hey, this is going to work out good. Hey, this is, hey, who knows? Uh, this might be the way out or whatever. And we make decisions like that all the time, especially financial decisions, and we get ourselves into a, a mess financially and maybe into relationships wrong or into substance that, you know, that, that controls making these impromptu decisions. Remember a while ago when we were reading and I told you to say the word, repeat the word that I had just said? What was the word? Quick. And that's what Esau said. Quick! <laughs> Give me a bowl of that red stuff. <laughs> Give me a bowl of that red stew. You know, I'm hungry. I want it now. And, and Jacob, you know, he kind of lays back and says, okay, well, sell me your birthright. Um, Remember, again, that the underlining factor here is what Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Uh, you know, Satan comes to deceive us out of the eternal for the exchange of the temporal. And that's the way he's always working. You know, temptation means the test by an alien power of the possessions held by a personality. You know, that's what temptation is. The means of the test by an alien power of the possessions held by a personality. Satan comes to, to tempt us, to, um, to take, you know, he uses his power to, and his, his persuasion to steal from us. So, you know, Esau lost his birthright because he chose the temporal over the permanent. Uh, in one part, when it repeats this, uh, or, or at the very end of that, it just says that uh, Esau despised his birthright. And that word means disrespected, you know, just, uh, and, you know, several places that word's used about despising. And, you know, we have to be careful that we don't disrespect our inheritance. I guarantee you we'll, we're going to stand before God to answer for that. A lot of times we disrespect God when we choose to fulfill our immediate needs instead of treasuring the, that seed that he's planted in our hearts of, uh, to keep a pure relationship with him. We're called to be the bride of Christ. You know, God gave his son to us to bring us into the family and to, to, to establish a new covenant with us. But, you know, the father is wanting to present us to Christ as the bride. That's, that's what it, we're going to be, the, a presentation to God's son. And there's a lot of value on that. And there's a lot of expectations from the Father in that. And, and, you know, a lot of it depends on what are we going to do? How do we value that inheritance and who we are and what's going to happen in our future? You know, the final question to ask here is that God asks us is this. Uh, are you selling out? Um, verses 32 through 34 there in Genesis 25 says, look. And this is what Esau says. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. 
What good is this birthright to me? I'm about to die. You know, I'm starving to death. <laughs> you know? So what good is the birthright? When I, I, you know, I've got to have something to eat. Hmm. He, he really undervalued it, didn't he? And he disrespected it in a sense by under, undervaluing it to say, it's not, hey, it's not even worth a bowl of stew. Well, maybe it might be worth a bowl of stew, but not the whole pot of stew, you know? Couldn't he negotiate for not only the stew, but some sheep and some, you know, things to make some more stew later on? I mean, no. He didn't even think about it. Just, okay, let me have that. What good is it? I'm going to die anyway. What good is a birthright? What good is this birthright? How quick he was to sell out. Um... That's what happens with an undisciplined character. Where are we in that? How are you in, doing in your, your character? You know, We run in and say, quick, give me such and such and such and such. And Satan's right there to, to give us what we want. Smells good, looks good. That's going to provide the need I have right now. And so, okay, fine. You know, what good is it anyway? What is good is serving God? You might not be facing that problem right now, but you know, they talk about midlife crisis. There's a, it'll be a time in your life where you come up and you think, well, I've prayed hard. I've studied the word and I've done this. I've given my tithes and offerings. And, I, and you, whatever it is, you come to a point and you look back and you say, was it worth it? You know, I've got this situation right now. And, you know, what good is doing all this? You know, that promise. I can't even see it anyway. I need this met right now. I need this need met right here. So, fine. And we sell out. People leave church every day. They're selling out, looking for the temporal rather than the eternal. He says, look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is this birthright to me? Verse 33, but Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Jacob was looking on down the line and said, I don't want you coming back. And tomorrow, a week or so, and saying, oh, no, man, we didn't, we didn't shake on that. We didn't make any agreement. That was just, you know, you should have gave me some, some soup anyway, which Jacob should have. You know, he should have taken care of his brother's needs. He said, come on in, man. Uh, have some supper with us. Um, but Jacob uh, said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. Look at this verse. So Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright, and it's a serious thing. Uh, like I said, birthrights usually include a, a double portion of an inheritance, uh, the family leadership, and, and really and the leader as a leader of worship uh, was, uh, was in that, and to, in leadership in worship and in war. Um, you know, and in this chosen line, the, the birthright, in addition, included the promise of the blessings of Abraham. Did you know that as believers now and under the new covenant that the blessings of Abraham are promised to us? See, we slip right in there. Our inheritance, our birthright includes the blessings of Abraham also as being uh, the bride of Christ, ruling and reigning with him, a promised position with Christ. You know, and there's some expectations from that as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, if you'll turn there, let's, let's look at what, this, what the Apostle Paul is telling the Hebrews there. And he includes Esau in this description. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, he says, See that no one is, is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as uh, the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing... He was rejected. He could bring uh, uh, about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Hmm. 
you know, he had a change of mind later on. And he wanted that blessing. And it says that, that he couldn't change the situation even with, with tears. I think about Jesus talking there in Matthew chapter 24 about two servants uh, that are grinding in the, in the you know, grinding grain and one will be taken, one will be left. This is when the Lord comes back and the two men will be in the field and they'll be working in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. It talks about all these things and it says that, you know, Jesus says that, you know, those that, that aren't expecting he'll come as a thief in the night and, and, uh, and also uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, you know, situations. He'll, he'll let that servant, he'll cast that servant aside and give him a portion with the hypocrite where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For a certain time. I can tell you what, the first three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be some weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible talks about a group of people that come up in chapter 8 of Revelation. It's a greater numeral company. And they come up out of great tribulation and they have on white robes that's been washed. When you get a robe of righteousness from the Lord, he didn't take a used robe. He gives you a, a brand new one. You don't have to clean it. So if they got soiled, it was because of what they did, their undisciplined life, seeking adventure. And it says they began to eat and drink with the drunkard, is what it says in, in that chapter as Jesus describes that servant, that wicked servant. And they begin to eat and drink with the drunkards. And, and so he says to that servant, which they're both servants, so it means that there's some likeness. They're not a sinner and a saint, but these are both servants of the Lord. Uh, it says to that servant, he'll appoint a portion with the hypocrite where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not purgatory. Okay, that's talking about a time that the word specifically that's used there for portion is an allotted time. You know, where it wasn't really, uh, it's, we're, not, we're not supposed to go into that time. God doesn't want any of us to suffer wrath. He has something different for our inheritance. But if we neglect that, even with the weeping and gnashing of teeth, it isn't going to change the mind because that's the way that it's set. In Revelation chapter 3, if you want to turn there, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, this is a church that's written, and you know, the seven churches represent seven different attitudes of believers today. And uh, you can find yourself in one of those. You'll find yourself in one of those letters to, the, to one of those churches. You'll have one of those particular attitudes. This, in the first three verses of chapter 3 of Revelation, he talks to the, the church of Sardis, which literally means that which remains. This is the group of people that will be those that remain where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he says there in Revelation 3, 1, uh, 1 through 3, To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. Everybody say, I know your deeds. God knows our deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Yeah, you know, you... Uh, I know a lot of Christians that are saved. They're born again, but they, they don't look alive. And I don't mean how high they jump or, or shout or anything like that. I'm talking about you don't see any fruit in their life. It's like a tree down in this particular area. We have the live oaks, and you don't see them really go into a stage of dormancy very much. But I always used to like to see the tallow trees go dormant until I tried to cut everyone down that I had in my yard. <laughs> but, you know, the, a tree will go dormant in a certain season. All the leaves will fall off. You can't tell that tree's alive or dead, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so, you know, we're just like that. There's a lot of Christians. That there's, sometimes they'll just enter into a dormant season. You can't tell if they're alive or dead. You couldn't tell them apart from, from a sinner that's right next to them. You work with anybody like that? Well, if somebody were to say about you, would they know you're a Christian? Or would they say, well, I'm not sure. 
They'll know you by your fruit. In other words, they'll know whether you're alive or not. If you're, you know, if you got leaves sprouting out, if you show characteristics of that, that of life. This church, it says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Hmm. Verse 2, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. We could tie that back if we want to take just a, a Bible study of this, this phrase where he says, I will come as a thief. That's used many times. He'll come to it, that particular group as a thief in the night, and, and uh, they won't know. And, and so they're not ready. They're not prepared. You know, there's several examples of this. People, you need to be ready. And the, thing, the way that you're ready is that, that, that loving and longing is appearing. In the Jewish culture, you know, they would um, be engaged, and so then the bridegroom would go off, and he would prepare a place. So they'd have a, a house, a place ready for them to live, and that's what Jesus said. I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I go, you may come also. He's the bridegroom. He's gone. He's prepared a place for us. And then he would come back at a, didn't know for sure when, and he would shout, and the, the bride would be attentive to his voice, know his voice, and she'd Go out to meet him. A lot of times we keep a light in the, in the window to know, you know, hey, yes, you know, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm watching. Shout. Give that shout. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself, the bridegroom, shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm looking forward to that. But boy, there's a lot of people that aren't. And they're doing their own thing. They, could, they don't even know what God's agenda is. And when he comes, they'll miss him. And he'll come. then when he comes to them, he'll be as a thief in the night. Well, they won't know when he comes. And Matthew, turn to Matthew chapter 24. I've given some references to this chapter. It's a good chapter. Let's look at verses 36 through 51. We have an inheritance, people. Don't neglect it. Don't get quick to, don't undervalue it. Don't quick, get quick to sell out so quick and say, yeah, oh, I don't know about that. I've done that. I've lived a life for the Lord, but you know what? It's time I live a life for me. I've done this and that for the, for the Lord, but you know what? I'm missing out on all this stuff. Quick, give me some of that red stuff. <laughs> give me some of that red stew. Give me what I desire. And Satan is right there to say, okay, swear to me. Give me your birthright. And people do it every time. That's right. I deserve this. I've done this. I've served the Lord, and where's that got me? I deserve something for me. Oh, wow. That's disrespecting your birthright, your inheritance. And let me tell you something. There will be a time in your life where you'll be faced with that. I'll guarantee that. Matthew 24, verse 36. Jesus speaking here, he says, No one knows about that day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered into the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. 
That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your, out, your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Revelation 19 says, For the bride hath made herself ready. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of his servants in the household? Sounds like a person that had the, the birthright and is overseeing, has taken that position of responsibility, right? And, and is, is governing and, and exercising the, 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 the inheritance that had been given. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of his servants and his household to give them their food in proper, at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns, doing the master's business about the kingdom business. You've inherited that. Now we're to do that. We're to carry it out in, in a sense of, of uh, the calling and the, uh, that's, been, that's been given to us, the inheritance that we've been given. Let's manage that. Let's be stewards over that. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Verse 48, but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. I've heard this about him coming back since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I've heard this all my life. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Well, where is he? I always say, well, if it seemed so real back then, then we must be closer today. I'm kind of like that little boy that was an optimist, you know, and they were doing a study on, on optimists and pessimists. And, and so they put the, uh, you know, the, the little boy, the little optimist, they put him in this room, and it was had... 12 inches of horse manure in it. And they thought, okay, let's see if he can find anything good about this. They looked in there, man, I mean, horse manure was flying everywhere. He was just digging around. Finally, after about an hour and a half, they come in and said, what are you doing? He says, with this much horse manure, there's got to be a pony. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, <laughs> there's got to be something good out of this, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm saying if it was so close, if Jesus was so close to coming way back then, he's got to be right at the, you know, stepping out the threshold now. Amen. Boy, you'll never forget that illustration. <laughs> but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. In other words, he says, I don't care about you. You know, you, uh, and, and the people that, that you, in, in church, and maybe then you start to talk about them because, you know, we usually talk about people that we feel, when we feel convicted about something, we got to bring them down so we're not so low. You ever know people like that? They're always putting somebody down so that they're not so low. Well, that's not as bad as so-and-so. You know, you should see what they did. So somebody else's is always worse so that they're, at least, it doesn't matter if they're just this high, at least they're higher than that person because that person's really low. Hmm. And they beat up on one another, talking about uh, the other believers, talking about you as uh, being a, oh yeah, thinks he's such a wise and faithful servant. Let's see where that gets him. You know, and, and begin to eat and drink with the drunkard. Begin to be intoxicated with the things of the world. What, what really begins to uh, impede your judgment, right? And so it says that, and that's the way that some servants, some Christians are. You know, they've gotten hurt in church or something. 
And so they don't have anything good to say about it. And so they just go out and live with the world. And you can't tell if they are, are alive or dormant. You know, there's no fruit there. And they begin to eat and drink with the drunkard. It says in verse 50, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour when he is not aware of it. Hmm, as a thief in the night. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No matter how much you cry then, it's not going to change things because he said, I know your deeds. That's what makes the difference. It's not all about talk. It's not how much you cry and whine. It's what you did. See, that's, you know, you can come to the Lord and you can cry and whine about, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. And it doesn't matter how much you cry or how much you whine. That need, the need doesn't move God. The faith, faith is what moves him. When you come with expectation and believing, that's what changes. So really, it's our actions. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. I know that sounded a little harsh, but I'm just trying to make a point here. That, you know, it's like no matter how much these people start heading into the first three and a half years of the tribulation, they whine and cry then, and then they're all ready to get right with God at that particular time. As they say, it's all over but the crying. And that's what happens. Look back at... Or look over at Galatians chapter 5 or 7. Paul tells the Galatians, he says, you were running a good race. Hey, you're, you're being a good faithful servant. You were doing a good job. You're running a good race. You were, after your inheritance, you were ch chasing that blessing. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Hmm. Boy, how... Many times could we say that to a believer. Man, you're, running, you're awesome. You're doing a great job. You know, you, you know anybody like that? Man, they're there. They're all excited. They're all enthused about the things of God and this and that. Man, they're just all over it. And then all of a sudden, where'd they go? What happened? And that's it. Something, whatever, some wind blew through and they got discouraged in a particular way or got tempted in a particular way or got mad at somebody or whatever and boom, that was over. When we lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the buckle on the Bible Belt, <laughs> you know, there's Rama Bible Institute, there's Victory uh, Christian Center there, had a school, and there's uh, Or Roberts University, and there's just, and a lot of people come there to go to school, to go into ministry, and so at our church there, Beams of Light in Tulsa, uh, then you see a lot of these Rama students coming. And I'm not trashing Raymond because I, I, I love Brother Kenneth Hagin Sr. And, and all that he did. And he was, he was a funny guy, neat guy. Paid the price. But they'd come and, man, I mean, the talk was, you know, and, and almost put you down. You know, well, don't you just say that. And, you know, and all this stuff, you know, about confession and living and all that, whatever. Man, they were just, they were 100 miles high in faith. And then all of a sudden, boom, where are they? They're gone. You know, sometimes we get all excited about hearing it, but it's not all about just hearing it, it's doing it as well. Took a missions trip into Mexico. We went on down into the interior. We got way on down there. We had some trouble in the mountains. Car broke down. Had some <laughs> roadside bandits come by and all kinds of stuff. And one of the guys that went with us was a Rama student. I mean, at the start of this thing, he was, I mean, he was putting us down. You just don't have enough faith. I'm like, well, it wasn't my faith. It was talking about 
we need to prepare for this. <laughs> I need to take some things, you know, and whatever it was. And boy, I mean, the first thing that happened when we break down, because he was from uh, El Paso area, and that's a pretty rough country, at the border area through there. And he, I mean, the first thing we, oh, we can't. What are we gonna do? Uh, there's robbers that come through the mountains all the time, and 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 he starts in all this stuff, and I'm like. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, big guy. <laughs> Where's all that faith that was talking earlier? God's going to protect us. You know, we can't sleep on the side of the road. Well, I guess we will. There's no place else to sleep. If you want some sleep, you can stay up, but I'm going to sleep. I slept good that night <laughs> in the car. You know, and we pushed it off the side of the road there on a mountain. We pushed a car up a mountain. Anyway, but I'm just saying that's the way a lot of people are, man. It's big talk, big faith until the reality sets in. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you that you should so soon be shaken? What's up? You know, sometimes we just undervalue our inheritance. and We don't know enough about it to begin to exercise that and find the strength that's really there in our inheritance. The bride of Christ is going to be made up of overcomers. And you get to be an overcomer by overcoming things. God doesn't say that you won't have trials. That's why I think that people, well, I tried that. It don't work, but such and such happened. Duh. You know? I mean, in the world system, people that make all kinds of money are those that overcome problems, that know how to solve problems, right? We pay more money to people that know how to solve big problems than small. The bigger problem that you solve, the more money you're going to get paid. How many of you know that? Right? And so, you know, so what's wrong with that? We can ask God for wisdom and we can overcome whatever it is. No weapon that's formed or fashioned against me shall prosper. All those that rise up against me shall fall that's what his word says so it's time that we begin to exercise some of our inheritance some of the authority that we have in our inheritance and we overcome and as we overcome that's what puts us in that position of overcomers <laughs> amen that faithful servant you know the focus of the faithful is to overcome not give up look at first Thessalonians chapter 5 maybe this will help just give a little bit more light here about our inheritance and the value of it and what happens to those that don't value it. First Thessalonians chapter 5, let's look at the first 10 verses there. Paul's writing to him, and so just listen to what Paul's saying here. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. In other words, when it happens, it happens. You can't stop it. Verse 4. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you as a thief. Okay? It's going to come on a lot of people as a thief in the night, but hey, you're not in darkness. We're in light, and it's not going to surprise you as a thief. Why? Because we have this birthright, right? And we know that we got a promise that, that he's going to shout. We're going to hear his voice, amen, and be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. Verse 5, you are all, now he says, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. All believers who accept the Lord Jesus Christ are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. You don't belong to that. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep or dormant. 
Can't tell if that tree's alive or if it's just in a dorm, you know, or dead, if it's in a dormant season or not. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled, not undisciplined, not out here doing whatever we think we want, when we want it, and going to get mad if we don't get it, willing to sell whatever we need to sell in our, of our inheritance to, to get it. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Remember Jesus saying the words there in Matthew 24? You begin to eat and drink with the drunkards? That wicked servant? Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of our inheritance. God did not appoint us to suffer this wrath. You know, this, when the tribulation starts, that's the 70th week in the book of Daniel that was allotted out to the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. And they, 69 of those have been fulfilled. Prophecy, you can see where they've been fulfilled, but there's one that's left. That's not for us. It's not for believers. It's for unbelievers, and it's for, uh, for also for Israel because of what's been promised. It's got to happen, okay? So God did not appoint us to suffer that. How many of you want to go through that? I heard one preacher say, hey, I'm not looking to get out of this. I'm going to be like a fireman. Like fire, when everybody else is running out of the fire, firemen run into the fire. I'm going, hey, bud, just go ahead with that old thing. I know it works for you. That don't work for me. <laughs> you know, I'm going to respond to him. You know, but, uh, that works for you. The Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. So going to have to be somebody, some preachers here to, to, to work while, while that's going, but not me. I'm not looking for that. <laughs> I'm looking for that. I'm looking for a hole in the sky, amen? I'm not chicken. I just, I, I want my inheritance. Amen. So it says there in verse 9, For God did, not us appoint us, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation, deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, He died for us so that whether we are, what? Oh, wait a minute. He talked about those who sleep, sleep at night, and they get drunk at night and all those things. How many believe that there are some sleeping Christians? That they're not really conscious. They're not alert. They're not awake. You know, they're doing their own thing. They're dreaming. <laughs> you know, and so they're asleep. So he says, listen to this. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Even though they're asleep. Eternity is still prepared for it. Praise God for that. Salvation says that I'm going to live forever with him. The difference in those that are awake and those that are asleep are those that are awake just get to go a little earlier and bypass about three and a half years into that tribulation. I don't know about you, but I want to be alert. You ever get excited about going somewhere? What if we said, hey, everybody in here would be like one of those shows, you know. Everybody in here want a trip to Disney World and we're leaving at four o'clock in the morning. You're like, okay. I mean, four o'clock is kind of settled. That's that's Eddie's time, you know. That's when he. Gets, but so I mean, four o'clock's early, but it wouldn't be too early to go to a trip to Disney World. How many of you say I'd be ready? How many be ready to go? All expenses paid, and we're going to give you five thousand dollars to spend whatever you want. How many of you ready to go? How many of you be ready at four o'clock? How many of you be ready? He'd be here at three thirty. <laughs> Probably won't even go to sleep. <laughs> That's what Martin said. I won't even go to sleep. That's right. You know what? Something better than Disney World 
It's heaven. There's a marriage supper set. And I want to tell you something. I don't want to be sleeping when it happens. I want to be ready. So he says, um, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Thank God for salvation. It's not a reward. It's a gift. And that gift is, is that we lived together with him forever. Now, in my inheritance, I get a reward that if I overcome and if I'm longing and loving and awaiting my, the appearing of my bride, my bridegroom, that he's going to catch me up. And it says there in Revelation, look at verses 7 through 13 back in Revelation 3. After the Sardis church, look what he says to the Philadelphia church. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Talking about an inheritance coming down. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. Here we are. We're back to this. You know what? Your deeds don't determine salvation. God predetermined before the foundation of the world that whosoever believed on the, his son would be saved. You're, pre, you're predestined that that. If I accept him, God has already predetermined that I can be part of his family and I can be saved. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved by the good works of Jesus. You're not lost by your bad works. You're not saved by your good works. You're not lost by your bad works. That's good for some people. Some of you are saying, man, if I could shout hallelujah right now, I would really shout out hallelujah. And I got some bad works. <laughs> That's what's so good about it. You're, you're saved by what Jesus did. Amen? But now that we're saved unto good works, and once we're saved, now we're expected to live for him. And we're to walk in, because now we have an inheritance. And we need to look for that and, and put off the old, put on the new, change some things. Don't live an undisciplined life. Now I need to discipline my life and thank God that he declared me to be righteous, but now through sanctification, I need to begin to live like Christ. God sees me like that, so I need to make it real in my life. So he says, these are the words who, have, hold it, uh, who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no man can shut, and what he shuts, no man can open. No matter how much you whine and cry and whatever, if you're in that first three and a half years, when that door's shut, it's shut and it don't open until three and a half years later. I have placed before you an open door. He placed it before us, an open door. That no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength. Oh, in other words, if you have a little strength, it means you've been exerting a lot of strength. Overcomers exert a lot of strength overcoming things that come into their life. I know you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Faithful servant. A faithful servant. Verse, look at verse 10. Since you have kept my command to, in, to endure patiently, again, he didn't promise a bed of roses. You know, the birthright took some, carried some responsibility with it, too. That's why there was a double portion in there, because you had to exercise those things. You had to be the leader in a, in a sense there. He says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also do what? Keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. What a promise with this birthright. To keep you from that hour of trial that's coming to trial on the whole earth. That's that seven-year tribulation. Here's a promise to the Philadelphia church. Because you've kept the word of my patience, you haven't denied my name. So I'm going to keep you out of this hour of trial. 
completely out of it. Not like the Sardis church who goes into it. Verse 11 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to, the, to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He's not talking about salvation. You don't get a crown for salvation. A crown is for a reward. Remember the Galatians? You were running well. What happened to you that you were so easily shaken? You're not going to get a crown. They would receive a crown after they ran a reward. It's like a gold medal. So he says, hold on to what you have. Don't let somebody take your crown. Don't let them come in and sneak and take your birthright. Don't let them steal that from you. Again, not talking about salvation, but talking about the rewards, the blessings of the birthright, of the inheritance. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Remain faithful. Be that wise and faithful servant so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my, of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him a new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good incentive to me. That's a Disney World at, at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I mean, better than that. But that's just, that door's there. You choose whether or not you're going to go through it or not. Or is it going to be quick? Give me some of that red stew. I'm famished. I got to have it. I got to have it now. What good is this birthright going to do to me anyway? I'm about to die from starvation. I need supply. I need my needs met. Well, that thing's not worth, worth anything anyway. And when you come up to a trial or a, trip, a temptation, a struggle, and the devil's right there to say, come on, sell me your birthright. Except he's not saying it like that. I got some good red stew right here that I, you can have, you know. You can have it. All you got to do is just give up that inheritance, that birthright. We don't value, if you don't value it very much, what good is it anyway? What good is this? I'm about to die. I got to have this need met right now. Hmm. We need to think about it. We need to keep our focus. We need to be faithful because there's something good that's promised to us. Hallelujah. And people, it's, it's our birthright. It's not always easy, but it's never impossible. When we first got this facility, and uh, it was just an open skating rink, and uh, we started building a wall right about there, you know, and just the, the metal framing was there. And I was in one morning, come in for 6 o'clock for prayer, and I was just kind of walking through praying. And, and uh, right down along this wall, right about over here, I remember just dealing with some things like, man, Lord, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. That's, that's impossible. I, I lost that. There's got to be a pony attitude, I guess, about that time. I said, that's, that's crazy. That's impossible. That can never happen. This is hard. This is tough, God. This is really tough. This is so hard. And, and I remember him saying, it's not always easy, but it's never impossible. I thought, wow, that's true. When I found that to be right, it's not always easy, but it's never impossible. You know, what I found is, is if we keep our trust in him, keep our focus on him, man, it happens. It's going to happen. He will take care of us. You know, it, it might be like with Lazarus, it might be four days, and we're already stinking. But I mean, there's a resurrection coming. He's never late. 
He's always on time, on his time. And what happens is he gets a whole lot more glory out of that than if it would have happened when we thought it should be. Amen. Amen. I've always wondered. I remember sitting in a, after surgery on my neck, the C5 and C6 surgery. I had a herniated disc. And, and uh, that Sunday, I had the surgery on Monday, but that Sunday, uh, I think Danny Jordan said, let's pray for a pastor. He's going to have surgery tomorrow. They laid hands on me, and, and they said I had a herniated disc. That's what the MRI had said. They'd, take, they'd taken it the week prior to make sure they had a fresh one. And, and uh, so it was herniated disc. And I said, Lord, we just pray for healing of this herniated disc. And I'm like, yeah, praise God, you know. And so next morning, I go to Methodist Hospital and go in there, and they put this, I got my crown the one they put on there and screw the screws into your, your head. I had a headache afterwards. But I remember waking up and blood everywhere on my, you know, Sandy was laughing at me. It looked like a zombie or something. And I was hurting. Oh, I had the worst headache ever. I was hurting. And I was still under the influence of anesthesia. I don't do good under the influence of anesthesia. I get a little attitude. My wife, I get a little attitude sometimes. And the doctor walked in. Well, I asked, I said, I want to see my doctor. Oh, well, you know, Dr. Simpson, he's the chief uh, uh, surgeon. He'll probably send one of his assistants over to talk to you. I said, well, I want to talk to somebody. I want to talk to him now. And so after a while, open, the door opens, and there's Dr. Simpson. And he stands there at the door, and I don't know if he was scared, you know, thought it was a zombie attack or what, but I, anyway, he stands there and looks, and so he says, you're amazing. And I'm like, I'm not in the mood for some pep talk. <laughs> I don't look amazing. I don't feel amazing. And he said, I said, so what's, why do you say that? He says, well, he said, if I hadn't done the surgery myself, I would have never believed it. What you talking about? He said, when we got in there, that disc that was herniated, that we had the MRI that showed it was herniated, it wasn't herniated. I got mad. <laughs> I got mad. I got, had, a, had a healing, but I got mad. You know why I got mad? Because I'm thinking, Lord, if you healed me yesterday when they laid hands on me, why did I go through this stupid surgery and I'm sitting here hurting? I really did. I'm, I'm being, but I was under the influence of anesthesia, so you got to take that into consideration. And so I thought, I mean, in my mind, I was thinking, what's this all about? Why do I have to go through this? He says, I can't understand it. I can't explain it. He says, but, you know, there was a lot of calcium on that, those discs, and so we took that off. He said, we took a little hole and rerouted the nerve up through there, so that ought to help you. And he tells me all this other stuff. It's like, okay, well, that's cool. I haven't really, I mean, praise God, I've done great. And, and so he said, but he said, that was really amazing. I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, yesterday at church, my church prayed for me to be healed of a herniated disc. If you would have told me <laughs> that I had calcium on there and a nerve, I said they could have prayed, and that would have happened too. <laughs> he goes, well, whatever. But he says, anyway, you can, he says, I said, so how long I got to stay here? He says, you can go home. I go, what? He says, you can go home. And, and I, Sandy went and bought me a ball cap because there was blood all in my hair or something. Or, no, it was that monkey, monkey blood, that, that stuff iodine stuff it was all over and they got the blood off of me but anyway that stuff was still on me she went and got a hat you know for me to wear home but I'm just telling you you know I was thinking wow and I had a, a little strength on that thing I mean but I believed when they prayed for me that God was going to move but I'm thinking well why didn't he move earlier he didn't because he got more glory out of it 
by not moving earlier, but by doing it then, because now this doctor who is the chief of surgery, surgery there, neurosurgery, who moved on to Dallas for a promotion, he cannot deny that God worked a miracle because he just saw the MRI and he saw in the surgery what God did. He can't deny it. God got glory out of that. I got a headache. <laughs> but sometimes when we suffer for him, I believe that that's what it's talking. When we suffer for him, we also rule with him. And so I thank God for that. I thank God that he was able to use me as a testimony to witness to this doctor who cannot deny that. But you know what? If we gripe and complain, I got over it real quick. I said, Lord, in fact, as soon as he left, I said, Lord, I, I apologize. Forgive me, God, for, for having an attitude here. Thank you for being able to speak to this doctor and to show him what you could do over and above him. People, we've got an awesome inheritance. We have a birthright. Don't undervalue it. Don't be quick to, to, to sell out. I mean, we need to get our focus on him and say, you know what, I'm living this thing, and, and whatever it is, I can go through it, I can go over it, whatever. And I'm going to make it because I'm an overcomer, and I'm going to rule and reign with him. I'm looking for the bridegroom, not for this other stuff that's temporal. I'm willing to forego the temporal for the eternal, not the other way around. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. With our heads bowed this morning, our eyes closed, let me ask you this question. I just read there in Thessalonians where Paul said that he died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, that we'll live together with him forever. Let me ask you, do you know today that you're going to live together with him? I'm not asking you about your walk with him right now. I'm asking you about your relationship. Do you know that you're a child of God, that Jesus died for you to pay the price for your sin? And because of that, you have a promise that you're going to spend eternity with him. If you know that, raise your hand and just say, I know that I have that assurance. I know I'm going to live forever with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. You can put your hand down. With people standing and stuff, I couldn't tell if everybody raised their hand or not. But if you could not raise your hand, if you're not sure today that you're a child of God, if you're not sure that you're going to spend eternity with him, will you raise your hand now so we can pray with you? Wherever you are, just raise your hand. If you're not sure that you're a child of God, just hold it up high and say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Amen. Amen. There's a hand. Anybody else this morning? You're not sure. Thank God for that promise. We're part of his family. We're part of the family. And we're going to live together with him. And so it's, it begins by receiving the love gift that the Father sent, who is Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we can live together with him forever. As they're praying with this one that raised their hand for salvation, let me ask you a question. Do you know? Or let me put it another way. Are you living your life in such a way with the desire to win him as your bridegroom? The incentives are great. Yeah, you miss, you miss out on the first half of that tribulation. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's a real good thing. But even better, you get to get to heaven right at the beginning. And marriage supper of the Lamb is being prepared. But you know better than that, it says that there's some thrones that are set about in his throne. That we can be with him in his throne.
not out on that sea of glass way out there where that great innumerable company comes up where they had those robes that they had to wash. They had palm branches that they waved back and forth. They're way out there just saying salvation belongs to our God. All they had was a song of salvation. But we see a couple other groups, the 24 elders and the four living creatures who are there with him saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. They're leading worship. They're worshiping him and exalting him. They have crowns on their heads. That's not angels. Some people say, say that that's angels. No, that's, this is a representative group. Twice 12, which 12 is a number of governmental authority, ruling and reigning with him. They got crowns. Angels don't get crowns. You know, that's for, for saints. And they're told, called elders, which is a church term. That's not a, you know, an angelic term. They're there. And they're worshiping, leading in worship in his throne, on thrones, as co-heirs with him. Wow. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. <laughs> There's a high calling. It's a bridal calling. And he said, I press with everything I got. I'm pressing toward that, that mark, that goal. That's what I'm running for. That's what I'm running for. So if you're saved, you know you're a child of God. Let me ask you, what are you running for? Are you running for yourself? See what you can get out of this deal? Or are you running to attain that position as the bride of Christ? It takes commitment. It takes discipline. It takes dedication. It takes faithfulness. It takes overcoming to be an overcomer. Just ask yourself the question, where are you in that? Maybe you've been in a situation where you thought that you might exchange. You didn't value your birthright. You didn't value the calling, this high calling that Paul said there in Philippians chapter 3. You didn't value that. You didn't see it as a high calling. You, you might not even have seen it. You thought, hey, well, I'll get to heaven. I'm getting to heaven. So whatever I can do here and now, that's fine. I challenge you today to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles you and run with perseverance the race course marked out for you. That's in Hebrews chapter 12. I challenge you to do that today. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand of where you are in that. You know. Maybe you're not sure. But would you invite a search? Would you invite the Holy Spirit to search you and know your ways? Hey, we heard Jesus telling each church there, I know your deeds. If he knows them, we better know them. We better make sure that they're lining up. David said, search me, O God, and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way or any rebellious way, any iniquity, any self-centeredness. So I challenge you right now to invite a search. Let the Holy Spirit search you. If there's some area in your life where you are compromising your life, your walk, where you're giving in, where you're giving in to the temporal more than you are the eternal, I challenge you to deal with it and lay those things aside. Ask God to forgive you now. When that door closes, at the beginning of the tribulation, ain't no repenting then. I mean, yeah, you can repent, but there ain't no changing it. You're in it. But now you can say, oh, forgive me. I want to get my focus back on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge of this message. Search us today. Know our ways. See if there's areas in our life where we're compromising. We were giving more into the temporal than we are the eternal. Help us to balance our walk so that as we are in this world, we're not of it. But yet, Father, you desire us, just as Jesus walked among people, that we too 
walk among people, that they can see your love and your care and your character in us. Our desire is to be ready for you. And we're to make ourselves ready. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Help us to die to our fleshly desires, the temporal things, and be looking, keep our focus on the eternal. Father, that's our desire, that's our prayer. If you're praying that today, not looking around, but just raise your hand to the Lord and say, Father, that's me today. That's my desire. I want to run. I want to be as the Apostle Paul. I want to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for it. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the truth that is taught here, Father. Thank you for giving us that mission to bring about a message with the truth. Father, thank you for the good news of of salvation, but also for ruling and reigning with you. Lord, we love you. Direct our paths. Bring us into divine opportunities, Father, to share with others your love and your, your grace. And Father, just dismiss us now to our lives that we can be light that shines and dispels darkness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.